if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed, it is. And hour number two is underway at nine minutes past 10 o'clock on this Friday morning, the 21st morning of the 12th month of the year of our Lord, 2018. Really appreciate you being a part of the conversation today. Thanks again to Jim Renacy, who joined us last uh, half hour, talking about everything from border wall funding to uh, to uh, General Mattis stepping aside, Syrian decisions, as well as, yes, the Jailbreak Act that the president is going to sign today against the advice of almost every federal law enforcement agency if not every federal law enforcement agent. Let me put it to you this way. The ACLU is celebrating right now. What does that tell you? Peter Kersenow. Hopefully he's celebrating. Maybe not that. Uh, Peter Kersenow is, of course, a Cleveland attorney. He is the host of the Kersenow Report here on AM 1420. The answer, he's a member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights, and he is the best-selling author of some phenomenal books that you should probably consider for Christmas gifts for people, including Target Omega and Second Strike. Peter, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Good morning to you, my friend. How are you? Feeling dangerous, Bob. Merry Christmas to you and everybody <laughs> in your audience. Got a sellout for for Sunday. P, uh, Baker called for it and, and got it, and deservedly so. Um, you know, I got to tell you, I don't know if you felt the same way. I, you know, I'm one of those veterans of having watched the debacles against Denver back in the late '80s, and uh, survived all of that, the drive, the fumble, and when uh, Williams called the timeout after the guy <laughs> contemporaneously with Denver going offside, I said, "We're going to lose." and then when we didn't get the fourth and one we're going to lose but that was a great win they're they're an exciting team to watch you know they're not going to the super bowl anytime soon at least not this year but they look like a football team well i'll I'll predict this i'll predict they're on primetime tv four times next year baker mayfield is box office people want to watch him and them uh they'll be on a sunday night or a thursday night or on a monday night or and they'll probably be flexed to a prime timer like they were this year against denver last saturday i bet you they're on four and what does that say the browns used to i mean the nfl used to cry that they had to put everybody on prime time at least once it's like even cleveland uh yeah now they're gonna yeah. want to because he is box office make no mistake about that all right Pete. Concurs. Yep. 
<laughs> now he does. Uh, all right, uh, Pete. Let's uh, let's get into this. There's so many different avenues. Uh, we'll start obviously with the border wall. We know what happened. Uh, we were all kind of informed the president was uh, was resigned to the fact that he was not going to get his funding and he was going to have to sign a, K- a CR. And then he even went on Twitter and admitted as much by basically saying, "Don't worry about it. We'll get it funded one way or another. I'll get it funded through the military or something." And then uh, yesterday. Uh, as Jim Renacci said, House Republicans said, we're not going to agree with that Senate-passed bill. We are not going to sign this CR uh, to February without funding for the border wall. And they took their vote, and they got it without a single Democrat support. Now the president is reinvigorated. The president is suddenly uh, uh, excited again. And, uh, and now the ball is all in Mitch McConnell's court. The question we've all been asking now is, what is Mitch McConnell, go- Mitch McConnell going to do, uh, Pete, before the shutdown deadline hits in about 13 hours? Will he change the rules and let us pass this thing with just 51 votes? Or is he going to uh, hold the line there and allow this uh, uh, shutdown to happen? I think that uh, if you watch his history, all due respect to McConnell, I don't think that he's going to do anything that will uh, pass this bill, unfortunately. He's not going to uh, change the filibuster rule. And I will tell you, I'm somewhat agnostic about it. I don't like making big changes in the middle of a fight. I think this is something that has to be deliberated. But you have to ask yourself, how well is our government operated with the filibuster rule in effect? You know, uh, it seems as if we treat it as if it's sacrosanct. It must be done. And we understand the reasons for it. You know, you don't want the kind of uh, uh, changes in direction, wild swings that not having a filibuster in effect, and you try to build some bipartisanship. But, you know, that ship sailed. We don't have bipartisanship anymore. No, we and don't. we're kidding ourselves if we're ever going to get it. And I say again, let's reflect back for the last 40, 50 years. To what extent has the 60-vote rule actually benefited us? Uh, you know, you, you have to do a deep dive into it. There are certain benefits to it. But, you know, we have an incredibly dysfunctional government right now. I mean, consider the fact that we're operating pursuant to a CR, a continuing resolution. The governmental process, the congressional legislative process, is completely and utterly broken down. We're going to be revisiting this again, Bob, in February, because they're not passing budgets anymore the way it's been contemplated under the Constitution, where you have appropriations for each defined item. That's the way it's supposed to happen. But instead, we keep kicking the can down the road again and again. We have crises every few months. And we can't get the will of the people done. The fact that we can't get a border wall for five for what's five point eight billion right now, I think the president just said give me five point two. For five point two billion dollars, the fact that we can't get something as imperative as a border wall is a travesty. And you know, put into perspective that five point eight billion out of a four trillion dollar budget, that's about one eight hundredth of the entire budget. You know that the border wall has nothing to do with anything but political posturing when you hear Democrats get concerned about spending. That's your first Well, yeah, thing. of course it's political posturing. They know full well that if they fund a border wall and he gets even a portion, because remember, this is only a portion of it. It's a $25 billion cost to build a wall in, in full. Uh, and, 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 of course, that doesn't mean an actual physical wall in the geographic areas where, where geographically or, or geologically, perhaps, is a better way to say it. You can't put one because of the, the nature of the border. Um, but, but the entire border wall and the border uh, protection and border security that was, was, was laid out is $25 
$5 billion. So this is about, about one-fifth of that. But if they even give up one-fifth of that, Pete, that's a box uh, or a check in the, in the, uh, um, in the uh, 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 promises kept column for President yep. Trump. And they can't, can't give him that for 2020. They, 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 have to, they have to ensure that his base abandons him because he didn't do what he said. He said he'd repeal Obamacare. It's the easiest thing in the world. He said I'd build a, he'll build, build a wall. Remember, he built skyscrapers around the world. A wall is nothing. Easy to do. And if, you go, if four years go by and he doesn't do those two things, which were integral parts of his campaign, he thinks, he being Chuck Schumer uh, and the rest of the Democrats, believe that, that uh, President Trump's base will abandon him. So they're willing to sacrifice national security and sovereignty just to take a political bite out of Trump. And also because, as we all know, the whole thing about this is votes. You take a look at how the lack of a wall and this ridiculous immigration system we have, including, you know, the visa overstays, has affected the prospects of Democrats. But for this kind of immigration, Democrats would be in in tough shape. You, You take a look at states like Arizona, Nevada, Colorado. These were all fairly reliable red states that are now trending blue. Even Texas. You know, yeah, Beto O'Rourke got beat, but it shouldn't even been that close. This is all about the Democrats augering power unto themselves, and those, you know, apparently they have no compunction satisfying national sovereignty, national security, rule of law, the safety and welfare of Americans. Bob, you and I have gone through this a million times. I've testified before Congress. I don't even remember how many times on this. You know, I've gone through the data. We've we've adduced this kind of information at the Civil Rights Commission. You guys are probably all bored with all this data, but I think it nonetheless bears repeating. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but I've written, you know, the last time I got angry with the president about, you know, any kind of hint that there might not be a border wall, I sent him, and I think I copied you on, on a letter I sent to him with certain stats in there. These are significant things. Just in five states alone, Bob, there are 5,000 legal aliens in jail for homicide alone. That's, these are ones who've been captured and convicted in only five states. This is serious stuff. The level of crime, we are being sold a bill of goods about the level of crime committed by illegal aliens in this country. Welfare benefits, the amount of welfare benefits gotten by illegal aliens. There's various estimates by credible organizations and also the GAO. We are talking just from the standpoint of TANF benefits um, and other benefits that will go to, for lack of a better term, anchor babies or, or children mm-hmm. born in the United States, and therefore their, their families will benefit. We are talking anywhere from, I think it was, if memory serves correct, $52 billion just for that alone. And now we're talking about the, the rate of jobs. There have been studies George Borjas of Harvard, with whom I've testified on the Senate Subcommittee on uh, Immigration and the National Interest, he has probably studied this more deeply than anybody in the United States, and he's been doing it for years. He estimates that the amount in reduced wages to Americans because of competition from illegal immigrants ranges between 99 to 118 billion per year. That means we are at least a hundred billion dollars poorer solely because of the reduction in wages due to depressed wages, uh, due to low-skilled immigration and the the, the uh, uh, depressive effects of uh, the uh, wages that are given to these individuals, and we have to compete with those individuals. This this is ridiculous. That the fact that we are tolerating this, and I'm not even getting into national security issues. The fact that we are tolerating this is an abomination, and every Republican out there, 
Thank goodness the House voted for it unanimously, but those folks in the Senate need to get their act together. They should have gotten it together a long time ago. This is something that's been around for two years. We keep kicking it down the road. I know I'm repeating myself here, but this is serious stuff. Every one of your listeners should be angry about this. American sovereignty is being sold down the river. You know, we have, if you just take a look at some of the uh, options we've got out there. Now, we may not get the $5.8 billion. I'm very skeptical of that, Bob, because I don't trust the, the Senate Republicans on this whatsoever, because if you listen to what Senate Republicans say, and I know you do, and I know you've probably figured this out a long time ago, probably well before I did, I'm not sure too many of them really are folks who are, who are concerned or interested in securing the border. No. And we've seen that. I remember when I was testifying before Congress on the various bills, the Gang of Eight bill back in 2013, I got the distinct feeling, especially from... Um, Jeff Flake appropriately named, that if it were up to them, they'd prefer having a wide-open border. Why baffles me other than they're carrying the water of interests that benefit from low-wage, low-skilled workers? Absolutely. When you take a look at the options that are available, we can get this done, Bob, even if we don't get this appropriate. There's a huge amount of money slushing around in the federal government. Now, it may be difficult to reappropriate that money for building the the wall. It may It'll be, be impossible, Pete. It'll be impossible. Well, See, I, I, the, the, well, I mean, once once Nancy work. takes over, once Nancy takes over, and they have control of what is voted on uh, in in the House, as you well know, any money they want to move from one place where it's been budgeted to another place has to get congressional approval. You'll never get it past Nancy alone, let alone uh, past the Senate. Then, if Mitch doesn't again, as we talked about, you know, change the rules, you, they, you know, you're not going to be able to reappropriate money. Uh, maybe, maybe not. I know there are some folks who say that. But I've been watching this for a while. Consider the following, Bob. In 2016 alone, Barack Obama, now remember, in 2016, Republicans had control of the the Senate. Yeah, I know. And so... And I know what you're going to say, too. Yeah, well, in 2016 alone, Obama was moving money all over the place, despite the fact that it hasn't been specifically authorized or dedicated for a specific purpose. And when I say all kinds of money, I'm talking about money that dwarfs $5.8 billion. I'm talking about in the neighborhood of $300 billion. Yeah. There's money out there that can be repurposed, and there's some discretion there. Now, do I think it's going to get I, the wall I, built? I don't know. But it, an attempt needs to be made. Well, you see, here's... Go ahead. Here's the thing, Pete, and, and I got to get to a break here. I say I hate to cut you off, but 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 here's the thing, and then we'll maybe pick this up on the other side. Both sides, both both parties have been doing this for years. It's it's illegal. It's not it's not uh, it's not uh, appropriate. But they both have looked the other way when one side wants to move money from here to there to the tune, as you said, of $300 billion. But the difference is none of them were Donald Trump wanting to build a wall. The Democrats will not look the other way if they try to reappropriate money to build a wall. Because, again, if he builds it, he wins again in 2020. If he doesn't, they are in a great position, and they will not look the other way the way we have in the past, for example, in 2016 with Obama. But you can respond to that on the other side. We're late. Let's get there now. Traffic and uh, curse now continues after this. All right, 1027, the good news is Peter Kersenow can stay late. 
We have so, I haven't even, we, we've only done the border uh, wall uh, discussion right now. We have so many other discussions to have. So Peter's going to be able to hang around with us next half hour as well. So that's good news. Pete, I didn't mean to cut you off, but we are up against that break, as you know. And I did want to, because I, I read the same article you read, uh, and, and, and that is about this, you know, this little dirty little secret that they have in, in Washington on Capitol Hill, that money that is supposed to be budgeted for one place often gets moved to other places. It's illegal without having new appropriations made and new votes taken, but both sides just look the other way forever. Uh, but I, I submit to you, they will not look the other way if they try to take money from one account or one budgeted, uh, uh, you know, portion of the government and, and put it toward a wall. Because again, the Dems know they're, their, their chances of beating Donald Trump rest on him never getting that wall. Here's what I say to that. I'm not completely convinced that they can, you know, kind of play whack-a-mole with this. And I think that we have to take that approach. In other words, all hands, all measures on deck. There are a number of other things that the Senate Republicans and Donald Trump can do to try to get this funding and more funding than just $5.8 billion. For example, I think you probably know this because you do your reading on it. A while back, Senator Cruz had proposed an amendment. It's a pretty easy amendment, frankly. It hasn't been voted on yet, hasn't been taken up, and it should be. And what it does is it provides for the um, seizure of criminal assets of certain individuals who've, who've profited from drug trafficking. Now, it's not the kind of asset forfeiture that's been the subject of a number of debates. Some people say that it's unfair. Some people say that it lacks due process. Mm-hmm. Cruz went through and methodically crafted an amendment. I, it, in my, my memory is it's, it's called something along the lines of ensuring the lawful collection of Hidden Assets Act. And what it does is it uh, permits the federal government to seize the assets of criminals such as El Chapo, who's worth $14 billion. He got all that money from illegal enterprises. In other words, flooding America through the southern border with things like fentanyl and heroin. $14 billion. That by itself is almost three times the amount that we're currently talking about in terms of border funding. That's just El Chapo alone. There are others like that. There's a huge amount of money, as you, as you know. In addition to that, uh, I know that there's this kind of nascent effort that's not going to provide anything other than maybe a couple of, of panels to the wall, but I think all hands are on deck here. There, there are GoFundMe pages that have been set up. It would still take about a year to even get a billion dollars through that GoFundMe page if it goes at the current pace. And that's presuming it goes at the current pace. But this is imperative. If we think this is important, we use every resource at our disposal to get it done. And one of those resources is, and I, I, I haven't listened to you this week, Bob, I've been traveling and stuff, but I mm-hmm. bet you you have said Donald Trump needs to, uh, he's been the best at this so far in his first two years in making the case but this merits, as some have said, a primetime address where he oh, yeah. lays out <laughs> all of Stephen Miller's stats with respect to the deleterious effects of illegal immigration on America and then challenge the Democrats as to why it is that they want Americans con- to continue to suffer at the hands of illegal aliens and the failure to enforce our southern border. We're talking national security yeah. interests, rule of law interests, uh, the infrastructure uh, burdens. On and on and on, and there's no defensible argument that Democrats can make. Put them on their heels. Well, you are 100% right, uh, uh, Peter, and uh, I have made that call, and so have a lot of other people. He needs a primetime Oval Office address set up with a slideshow presentation or a whiteboard or something. Use Stephen Miller stats. Use FAIR stats, the Federation for American Immigration Reform. Look at the $115, $130 billion we spend every single year on illegal immigration and then ask us again how we can afford not 
to spend $25 billion, a one-time outlay, to stop all of that. Peter Kirsten, I'll right back with us after the news on AM 1420. The Com. Progressive Democrats, please be aware you have now entered the place where political correctness goes to what die. This is the Bob is France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. All right, 1035 now. We continue the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer with uh, uh, with uh, Peter Kirstenau, our friend, uh, of course, who does the Kirstenau Report. He is a Cleveland attorney. He's a member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. And he's our regular Tuesday guest, joining us on a Friday because his day job, plural, jobs, uh, has interfered. Uh, Pete, so glad you could squeeze us in, seriously. And thanks for putting in the extra time today. Um, Obviously, we spent that first segment on the or first two segments on the border wall. I need to talk to you about Syria now. I need to talk to you about uh, General Mattis. I'm very, very disappointed with the president on this matter. Uh, the president, as we know, has no foreign policy credentials, has no military background, no experience whatsoever in these matters, Middle Eastern history. That's why he said, don't worry, when he ran for office, I will surround myself with the very best people. That's what I do. I hire the best people. And I think he did when it came to a person like James Mattis and a lot of his national security advisors. James Mattis and all of his national security advisors and Pentagon Pentagon chiefs are telling him, do not leave Syria. It's the same message that George Bush and his uh, military advisors gave to an incoming Barack Obama. Do not leave Iraq. You are going to leave a massive vacuum there that is going to be exploited and is going to hurt us in many, many ways. Do not do it. Strategically, it's very important for us to still be there. The president said to all of them, too bad. I know what's best. Uh, he put that little video out saying uh, ISIS has been defeated, and if they reform, then we'll come back and kick their butts again. Uh, and he's just completely defying those uh, those leaders, so much so, in fact, that Mattis said, I'm out. If you insist on this course, I won't be here while you do it. Um, it's troubling. Pete, uh, you know as well as I do, uh, you know, you and I both have supported this president in many, many forms, in many ways, for many decisions, but I will not sit here and acquiesce and just be a fanboy and say he's right because he's always right, because sometimes he's not. What say you? Yeah, um, I will answer that in just one second, but I've, I'm so, you know, emphatic about this border wall. There's so many things that are important. I'm just going to take one, one more minute to give your listeners uh, a few more facts so they can take those facts and beat their representatives over the head with it. There is, right now, you keep hearing from Democrats that a border wall would be ineffective. How they would know that is beyond me because we don't have a border wall. But consider the case of Hungary in 2015. 2015, when there was the migrant crisis in Europe, Hungary did not have a border wall. They began to build one and were excoriated by Merkel and all the other mavens of the EU, who sounded much like the Democrats, saying, first of all, that it's immoral to do this, second, that it won't work. The year before they began building, they had 391,000 illegal immigrants cross the border into Hungary. After it was completed, there were 1,184. 391,000 to 1,194. I hope your listeners take that Go to the representatives, beat them over the head with it, and also send emails to Nancy Pelosi and everybody else and members of the media who don't get it through their thick skulls or refuse to acknowledge the truth because it benefits them uh, uh, politically to do so. There is an imperative to get this wall 
done. We are hurting as a result of this. It must get done. And uh, with respect to Syria, I agree with you, Bob. This is uh, something that bothers the heck out of me. First of all, uh, Mattis does have experience. Mattis is well regarded. When you read the resignation of uh, General Mattis, it is a well-written letter. He's not critical of the president at all, but it's important to note what he doesn't say. Um, Well, he does say one thing. He says that it's important or that the president has a right to have someone in the position of Secretary of Defense who is more aligned with his views, which means that Mattis is not aligned with the president's views, at least on certain things. And I suspect Syria might have been the straw that broke the camel's back. We saw this movie before. Um, ISIS was created in part because of the vacuum created by Barack Obama by pulling out of Iraq and not having a, um, uh, uh, an agreement with Iraq to keep our, our troops there. And we have not won the war yet. I mean, we've done significant damage to ISIS. The president and the administration deserve kudos for doing things that the Obama administration did not do. ISIS really has been decimated pretty much. But the last estimate that I think uh, I saw is that there are at least 30,000 ISIS fighters remaining. And that may not sound alike, uh, like a lot, considering that an army of $30,000 is not uh, 30,000 um, troops is not a lot, but I view these not so much as an organized army, but 30,000 terrorists is a heck of a lot of terrorists. So, uh, very it's especially people. a heck of a lot when you consider we don't, the, the troops we're talking about are only 2,000 strong. We're only talking about 2,000 troops in Syria. That, that's what we have there right now. And they have been training and supporting the Kurdish fighters, which we have been, uh, you know, supposed to have been allied with here. And now we're about to abandon them, and they are going to be taken apart. Erdogan in Turkey is cheering right now, celebrating. He's going to grow and establish the Islamic Caliphate and it, with himself as, as, the, as the leader, uh, that he wants the largest sponsor of terrorism in the world. Iran is right. also cheering right now because they are going to be able to have that territory in Syria to work with. Remember, Iran and, and uh, Assad in Syria and, and Putin and Russia are all allies. Yeah. I mean, they're all yes. cheering right now because That's we're exactly taking right. 2,000 troops out of Syria right now. How does that not tell the president, maybe this isn't the best idea. Maybe I should listen to my general. Well, I don't know. Uh, you know, you and I corresponded by email, I think, earlier on in the week uh, with respect to the peculiarities of what transpired at the beginning of the week and over the weekend. The Syria pullout, the um, uh, fact of the First Step Act, and, you know, the, the whole matter with respect to what appeared to be for 24 hours a capitulation on the border wall. Yeah. Three of his signature items, and it was, at least at first blush, devastating. Now, the one thing with Trump is, we find out that, you know, he may make a statement, and then later on he comes back and he he kind of finds his way back to where he was before. Uh, You may remember that a little over a year ago, for example, he was about to abandon completely the border wall and sign a DACA deal. And then we went nuts, meaning, you know, the conservatives out here in America. Um, As a member of the Civil Rights Commission, I provided him with data showing him why that was a bad idea, and he went back in reverse course. We saw it again this week with respect to the wall. It looked like he was going to abandon the funding for it, and then after one day, he was back on course and doubled down, was even more adamant. 
I don't know what's going to happen with respect to Syria. My hope is that he rethinks this because a lot of very smart people, now, it doesn't necessarily mean that Mattis is, is uh, infallible on this, although I do think we should be respecting his judgment as somebody who's been around for a while and gets this stuff pretty well. And not and just his, other but other, other national yeah, security right. advisors as well, and members of the Pentagon, and, and yeah. strangely, bipartisan uh, opposition to this move. Even Democrats who saw the, the, the folly of what Obama did in Iraq, even Democrats are telling the president, don't do this in Syria, we know this is bad. Yeah, I think the Democrats are just being opportunistic when it comes to that because they're fully supporting Obama's lack of engagement there. Yeah. But nonetheless, I, I agree with you entirely. So you've got a lot of very smart people who know this stuff cold as opposed to yours truly. All I know is that this replicates or seems to closely replicate what the uh, uh, Obama administration did with respect to both Syria and Iraq. Because remember, Obama drew a red line, and then when he didn't enforce it, that was a signal that there's a vacuum there that Vladimir Putin could, could fill. And also, the folks in Iran decided that, hey, you know what, we can play here. We can play in this environment. So I think that if past is prologue, we've seen the the... Uh, president before take a departure and then come back on course i'm hopeful that's the case i'm hopeful that his next secretary of defense brings him back on board um, i will say that i'm willing to take a wait and see attitude to see what he actually implements but remember this also there's a lot of hysteria about mattis leaving and it looks like things are in disarray obama had four secretaries of defense four and Mattis has served longer than all but one of Obama's secretaries of defense. So this is not some sign of disarray. What's a sign of, though, is a guy who knows this environment and has a disagreement with the president leaving, which signals that maybe yeah. we need to revisit where the president's going on this. That that That's the difference between the departure of Obama's previous secretaries of defense and this one. To my knowledge, I don't recall any of them having severe policy differences or security differences with the president and resigning well, over Panetta, that fact. Panetta this is the first did. time. What, 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 what did, what did Panetta depart with him on? Yeah, I don't remember, but I do remember that Panetta made some statements that seemed to be at odds with... with um, Obama's okay. position. I think it had to do with Iraq, but I'm not. I, I can't really recall. I'd have to go back and check my notes on it. But okay. also, this is not a, a, func- a matter of dysfunction. It's a matter of are we pursuing the right policy? And I tend to go with the guys who've been there before. Peter, uh, I want to. Peter Kirstenau is our guest. I want to talk to you about First Step Act. The president is going to sign this today. Uh, it was voted in, it was passed, yes it is. It was a big mistake that it was passed 87 to 12 by the Senate, uh, and everybody's touting bipartisanship. And you know, it's all well and That's good to say, clue. look, we did, <laughs> right? We did something with both parties agree, agreeing to this. Um, uh, the fact that both parties agree with this and the ACLU agrees with this, uh, is, is troubling, uh, in, in, uh, you know, in, in every sense of the word. Uh, but the fact that the president is the one who spearheaded this, he is the one who lobbied his members or the members of Congress. He told uh, Republicans everywhere he wanted this to pass, get it done. And and he's listening, as you know, to his, his daughter and his son-in-law. This is Jared Kushner's baby. It is, uh, it is uh, Ivanka Trump's baby. And it is their two New York liberals who don't believe in prison, 
who don't believe in, in, quite frankly, in the law. They don't believe in drug laws. They don't believe in any of these things. And it is a very, very dangerous proposition. He's going to sign it today, and we're supposed to believe that it's a whole bunch of innocent, or not innocent, but harmless, nonviolent drug offenders that are all going to be released here. Uh, as if there's a, you know, as if there are tens of thousands of people sitting behind federal bars because of their first doobie. Uh, that is not the case. Seriously violent drug traffickers, child molesters, uh, uh, armed robbers, people who commit violent crimes on a routine basis are all going to be eligible for early release now. And we can't stop it because the president's about to sign a Pete. Yeah, this is, um, this may be, you know, we'll wait and see, but to this point, in my humble estimation, this may be the biggest mistake that Trump has made to date. He hasn't made a whole lot of mistakes. He's been pretty good. Agreed. But, yes, but he this has been. One, Yeah, this one is a debacle. Um, as you know, a while ago, I sent uh, a couple of letters with the data. You know, this is what the Civil Rights Commission does uh, with the data on this. Um, this is, no matter how you cut this, you cannot say this is going to be good for America. Is it good for certain people who are imprisoned? Yeah, absolutely. But I think our concern is more appropriately directed toward law-abiding Americans and those who are going to suffer as a result of the release of some of these felons earlier than their sentences. Now, remember, as I've said, and you've seen my letter, one of the, be- one of the purposes of incarceration is not just rehabilitation, but incapacitation, that is, preventing people from committing crime. That's one of the reasons why you have people behind bars. Thomas Sowell has written about this stuff forever and ever, but this is really a no-brainer. We have seen a nearly 20-year decline in the crime rate, and all these liberals and others are scratching their heads going, wow, this is great, How this is ha- how, why is this happening? Well, it's happening contemporaneously with an increase in the number of people being incarcerated. We're putting bad guys away. And lo and behold, when you put bad guys away, crime drops. The data show, Bob, the data show that 83% of felons released, just simply released, not released early, are re-arrested within five years. And most of them are re-arrested, on average, five times. Wow. We've seen this movie before. Back in the 70s, we had a soft-on-crime approach to things. Crime rates spiked. Then, strangely enough, guess who was getting all upset about this stuff? It was the Congressional Black Caucus that was the chief locomotive behind increased jail time for crack dealers, etc. That's where the disparity between crack dealers, for example, and powder cocaine came from. It was the Congressional Black Caucus. They're the ones because the crime rate in inner cities was going through the roof. Now everyone says we have an over-incarceration problem, so we've got to let these poor guys go. Well, what about the law-abiding citizens in, to whose, to whom's, in whose neighborhood these people are going to be released? They're not going to be going back to the neighborhoods of those people who voted in favor of this. Those, those neighborhoods are gated communities or they're low-crime neighborhoods. They're going to be coming to my neighborhood. The crime rate is going to go up again, and one of the most abominable things is... So much of what Tom Cotton, and my goodness, uh, if there's a stand-up guy in the Senate right now, we may not agree on every single thing. That's not the purpose. But a stand-up guy right now, it 
it's Tom Cotton who supports the president. I mean, he's got great allegiance to this president, but he calls a spade a spade. And he said, this is bad news. And he proposed certain amendments, which amendments wouldn't have made this a perfect bill. And I couldn't have supported it even with Tom Cotton's amendments. I wouldn't have supported it. But even his amendments were too much for some of these these virtue signaling Republicans and these Democrats who I'm not going to even purport to understand what they're thinking. But when you look at... one of the amendments he proposed was that victims of these criminals would be notified before they be released so that they could at least go to the warden, the warden who's going to make the determination as to the early release as to whether or not the guy got enough credits because he'd been participating in programs, et cetera, et cetera, that, hey, wait a minute, it's almost like a, a witness impact statement. But that wasn't well, voted. That was was turned down. Why? And then the act supposedly says that this program is based on evidence-based concerns with respect to recidivism, but they wouldn't adduce data with respect to that. That's another one of his amendments. There's something really wrong with this. It, it, not something, some things very yeah. wrong with this, Bob. We are not and, and what's in what's in what's what's just devastating to me is the, that 22 different organizations, many of them some of the strongest conservative organizations in America, wrote a letter, signed on. They were all signatories to a letter to Mitch McConnell and to Chuck Schumer, saying pass this thing without those amendments. Do not allow those amendments to be put into this because it will it will break up the wonderful bipartisan and bicameral negotiations that it had taken it had taken to make this bill a possibility. They wanted those taken out. And I'm talking about Matt Schlapp's organization, a man for whom I have great respect and talked to many, many times, uh, the American Conservative Union. Uh, A number of conservative organizations wanted this, and I'll never understand it. I'll give you the last word on it, Peter, right after we take our final time out on AM 1420, The Answer. New customers. It's our last live show before Christmas Tuesday. On uh, Christmas Eve Monday, we will have a best of show for you with some of the uh, uh, best interviews. We had a wonderful interview with Ryan Morrow, honestly, just a couple of days ago about the search for the Mountain of Moses. Um, Mount Sinai is in Saudi Arabia. It's not in Egypt. It's a fantastic conversation. You need to listen to the evidence again. That'll probably be a part of the Christmas uh, Eve morning best of show. Then we have Christmas in America, the 1981 nostalgic look at it from our good friends at the Public Square, Dave Zanotti and Rob Walgate, uh, the Public Square uh, Broadcast Network, as well as the uh, AP Roundtable and the Ohio Roundtable. It was a wonderful event earlier this month that I attended. You'll hear the radio version of it on Christmas Day during this time slot. Uh, so we'll be back again live on Wednesday. So this is our last chance. Peter Kirsten, now I want to give you the last words on this. And, Peter, I kind of said I'll give you the last word on the uh, uh, jailbreak bill, but I feel like you were very uh, thorough on it as it as it as you explained it. So I'll let you kind of let, take this last couple of minutes and hit any one of the uh, three things we've discussed again. If you want to hit the wall and maybe remind people, where are we, 12 hours away roughly now from the shutdown? Yeah. If you want to hit the wall again or the jailbreak bill and try to urge uh, the president yeah. not to sign it, I'll let you take that. Well, thanks very much, Bob. Uh, first, I, I think I want to follow up on the jailbreak bill. Uh, you, you'd say, why are Republicans doing this? Well, you know, the, the overwhelming bipartisanship support should be a signal to us 
that when you have something like that, especially in the current environment, hold on to your wallet, lock your door, and arm yourselves. There's something significantly wrong with this. Part of it is because Republicans want to give the president a win on this. Uh, extraordinarily misguided. There's some good people who, and, and there's honest disagreements as what the impact of this bill is, but we've got history to look at. Um, and as you've said, and Tom Cotton has done so, so eloquently, the people are going to be released. A lot of these folks are hardened bad news guys. This, this is not going to be good for law-abiding Americans, and that should be our first concern. I think a lot of Republicans want to virtue signal. A lot of people are virtue signaling. Uh, I think a lot of Republicans are doing this in good faith. But, you know, there are those who want to get kind of a jail, uh, get out of jail free card from the media and others that, oh, you know, we're really not racist. We're concerned about the, the plight of these imprisoned individuals. Very wrong headed. Be concerned about the plight of law abiding Americans first. Then. There's not to say that there couldn't be reforms. There can be reforms. There are people who are in prison probably longer than they should be. But this bill is, takes a sledgehammer to something that, um, frankly, should have at best a scalpel. With respect to the matter of uh, immigration again, I, you know, I think that there's, there are a number of paths by which, by which the president can get what he wants. And this is imperative. I do think that Donald Trump is about the only guy I can think of who may stand firm during a government shutdown. Because our media is so Washington, New York centric, it's as if a government shutdown is Armageddon. It's not. It's not at all. We out here in flyover country, in other words, most of America aren't going to feel anything. Some may have a little inconvenience here or there. The biggest inconvenience were probably those who are trying to renew their passport and, you know, it's going to get delayed. Understandably an inconvenience. But measure that against the importance of having a secure border, all the multiple ramifications of not having a secure border versus your individual convenience. When the government shuts down, most of government is going to continue operating. We're not going to see much of it. Only those people within the Beltway in New York are apoplectic about it. And I'm not going to say only, but mostly that's where it's centered. And the fact of the matter is the media, which is the propaganda arm, unfortunately, the Democratic Party these days, is going to continue flogging this as if this is the biggest crisis in the history of the world because as a political benefit, at least perceived for Democrats. Donald Trump should hold firm in my estimation because I believe most Americans want the wall, most Americans aren't going to be affected by the shutdown, and standing firm has ancillary political benefits. That's what it's all about. Peter Kersenow, great stuff, great way to end the, uh, uh, the, uh, the week, and, uh, and kind of, for all intents and purposes, the year, Peter Kersenow. Thank you so much, my friend. Merry Christmas to you and yours. Merry Christmas, Bob. 97 days to opening day. Counting it down. Thanks very much, Pete. We'll see you uh, Wednesday on the Bob Brands Authority.